Hello and welcome to State of Crime with Elena and Kaylin. One state, two murders, lots of crime. Yay! You Yay. did it right this time. <laughs> All right, so this week we're continuing on with the beautiful and lovely state of Virginia that has some dark dark tales. Now, I will apologize in advance to you because I know you are n- not going to enjoy this one. This one's going okay. to hurt your heart. Oh, no. Now, we are going to talk about Daniel Lee Zirkel from Rockingham County, Virginia. All right. Now, this is a case that proves our justice system really, really needs to take domestic abuse more seriously. Okay, so I just I'm going to jump in here. I'm I sorry you would I interrupt you right off the bat because I have been in an ongoing battle with one of my friends over this because I posted I I'm famous for quoting and I'm pretty sure I did not come up with this that misogyny is the root of all evil and that almost every mass shooting in this country has been tied in some way to domestic violence. Almost, not all. But anyway, I'm going to be doing a guest spot on Drew Talks podcast where we are going to battle out this. So I'm glad there's a little carryover here. So And a lot of this, so there's there was a case about 45, 50 miles from us that just happened about a month oh, ago. Yes. A man had killed his, oh, his ex. Yes, and she had called the cops many times recently before that had happened. Right. And And recently in Oregon, we had the other case where he went and killed members of his own family and killed his ex and a child and really horrific things. And in Idaho here, what made that case particularly grievous was there had been a bill last year introduced in the legislature to try to deal with making sure that people who had domestic violence convictions would not have guns it failed miserably, and this has brought that up again with some bitterness for people. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of things in our justice system that need fixed, and I think that this is one of the biggest things. I agree. I don't think domestic abuse charges get... They're not taken as seriously. They're not. They're not. First of all, they're vastly underreported. That and you... I'm sorry. A piece of paper is not going to stop anybody. No. A protective order, if somebody is really trying to hurt you, a piece of paper telling them that they are not allowed to come near you is not going to stop them. No, but it at least helps. At least have that, you know what I mean, in play. And that's even very difficult for people to get sometimes. And then, like you said, I mean, and then the fact that that's the only punishment that somebody who's been convicted of this gets, there's a whole lot more to be discussed there. Yeah. All right, so we have Barbara Shiflett and her two daughters, Jessica Shiflett, who is 14, and Christina Zirkel, who was four years old. We have Barbara's boyfriend, Daniel Lee Zirkel. He is 31. On April 3rd of 1999, Barbara took her daughters to her sister's house for a sleepover. Seems very normal. She comes home around 9 p.m. and her boyfriend, Daniel, is in bed. And when he realizes that she does not have her children, he becomes very angry. He, like, jumps out of bed. He kind of, like, chest bumps her and is yelling at her, like, I want my daughter's home now. 
So he, this, just the fact that they were at a sleepover set him off like this. Yes. Okay. And they started to argue and it continued to get worse and it gradually escalated and it got to the point where Barbara tried to call 911. And Daniel jerked the phone from her and then pushed her into a fish tank. She then tries from a different phone to call 911. He also jerks that phone out of her hand and then pushes her into the couch. Now, she is desperate at this point. She needs to get out. Luckily, her kids aren't there to deal with any of it. She ends up going upstairs to her 14-year-old daughter's room and uses the phone in that room to call 911, and she gets through. And the cops arrive. Barbara left the house to spend the night with her sister, and Daniel was not arrested that night. But he was served a protective order that directed he had to stay away from Barbara and their home. That very night? Yes. Which is strange that it, to me, that's very strange that it happened so quickly. Right. But I, yeah, I know, and I do know different states handle that differently where they can, you know, the police can say, go stay somewhere else, don't come back tonight. I don't know that it's technically a protective order, but at least they're trying to defuse the situation sort of a thing. Now, while she, while Barbara was at her sister's, Daniel called multiple times. The first time he called, her sister answered, and when she realized it was him, she hung up. He then called back, and she told him that she could not talk to Barbara and asked him not to call back anymore. Of course. Which he, of course, did. And on that third call, Barbara finally said, I'll talk to him. And he said that he wanted his, quote, fucking daughter's home now. She told him no, they weren't coming home. In which he responded with, quote, do you want a war? Have a war. You'll pay, you fucking bitch. Wow. So the next day, Barbara and her sister go back to Barbara's house to pick up some things. Okay. Because she's going to go stay with her sister for a while. Smart move. Now, while they are there, Daniel shows up and starts attacking Barbara. Now, can I ask, I'm sorry, I always jump in on these. Was there prior recorded incidents of domestic Abuse, or is this... He does have some prior run-ins with the police, but not for domestic issues. There was some armed robbery things. Oh. So, but it wasn't any more domestic violence that had happened. Now, so he attacked Barbara, and eventually he fled the home. Police come, and Barbara is pressing charges for assault, battery, and violating a protective order. So we know that this was actually a protective order that was served okay. to him because he did get charged with violating All it. All right, yes. And good for Barbara. I mean, I know, you know that that's often the thing. You, and this is the thing that just drives me crazy, though, about these cases because I can tell where this is going already. I have not read it as we talked. This is not one I'm familiar with. But I think we all know where it's going. But it's this thing that this is when women are in the most danger is when they have made the report, they're trying to get out of the situation, and it just makes me crazy that we don't have better ways to protect them. Yep. So they a judge signs warrants 
for his arrest. And he continued to call Barbara before police were managed to arrest him. He called her multiple times, making threats. And in one of the phone calls, he told her she would be sorry and she would pay. So Daniel was then arrested and convicted of assault battery and violating a protective order. Again, good. See, and this is everyone's doing everything right here. That's yes. <sighs> Until August of 1999, he has been released from jail, and Barbara is at work. She gets a phone call from him at about 2.30 p.m., and he tells her to live in hell, bitch. Then around 4.30 p.m., she is still at work. She left work to go down to the police station and get another protective order against him. When she gets back to work that evening, she is informed that Daniel's mother has made an urgent phone call to her. She returns his mother's phone call, and Barbara's told that Daniel has Christina, who is the youngest. She's the four-year-old. Barbara rushed home, and her 14-year-old Jessica was watching the four-year-old while Barbara was at work, which isn't anything out of the ordinary. no. On her way home, she used her cell phone to call Jessica, and there was no answer. So when she gets home, she's rushing inside. She's screaming, hollering, trying to find the girls. And she gets to Jessica's room, and the door is closed. So she opens the door, and she finds Jessica's body face down on the ground. She calls police, and police determined that Jessica had been. An investigator had then been dispatched to Storybook Trail in Page County, Virginia. They had told the investigator that a 30-year-old man had threatened to commit suicide, had taken his daughter, and gone to the trail. The investigator walked the trail, and at the end of the trail, there's like a wooden deck area where the investigator saw fresh blood stains. And then he saw the upper part of a male torso and a child's leg. Christina was lying face down on Daniel's chest. He had his left arm over her body, holding her. And the knife was in his, just out of his right hand. The investigator started checking vitals first for Daniel because he has a weapon. And it is determined that he was still alive too bad he so the investigator kicked the knife away and then checks for a pulse on four-year-old christina and he was not able to find one the rescue squad arrived checked christina's vitals and they were the ones that pronounced her dead they then tended to daniel who had a self-inflicted wound to his neck he was transported to the hospital where he did fully recover from his wounds when he was questioned by detectives, Daniel said he took the knife from his mother's house and he used that knife to kill Jessica and Christina. The autopsy for Jessica was performed by the chief medical examiner from Western Virginia Medical Examiner's Office. He testified that her body had five stab wounds to the neck. Two of them were on the left side of her neck. He said those wounds cut through a major artery, a major vein in the back portion of her windpipe. She also had two more wounds in the front of her neck that extended into the muscle of her neck and into her thyroid gland. 
A different medical examiner performed the autopsy on four-year-old Christina. This was, she was from a different medical examiner's office. She testified that Christina had super, had a superficial wound under her chin, a gaping stab wound on the front of her neck. She had abrasions on the front of her left shoulder, a bruise on the back of her right neck, a small bruise on the, on her right abdomen, some scrapes on her right hand and right knee, a bruise on her lower left leg, and a pressure mark on her left knee. Which I'm not exactly sure what a pressure mark is. Maybe that she had been kneeling or something had been on her and it hasn't had time to bruise yet or something. Yeah. But I mean, he had brutalized her. He dragged her. He... Yeah. I'm sick. The medical examiner also told the court that the stab wound to her neck went through her air passage as well as between two cervical vertebrae and it cut her spinal cord in half and she also told them that the abrasions and the bruises indicated that four-year-old christina had struggled against him so we then find out a man who was incarcerated with daniel before the murders when he was incarcerated for the battery the assault and Mm -hmm. the violation of the protective order this man who was incarcerated with him testified against him and told the court that daniel told him he was going to take care of all three of them when he got out if he couldn't have them no one else could see that mentality right there is this is what we're talking about when we talk about toxicity you know and i know that the phrase toxic masculinity gets thrown about and and the thing is this isn't just a masculine issue either like there you know i i don't want to only at men who abuse although it is far more common statistically um but this idea that you own another person in any way shape or form no matter what your relationship is is one that is just so horrific and it's something that we need to do so much a better job especially with younger people in the ways that we talk about relationships and connections and move it away from this idea that you own another person or that they owe you anything in any way is really really problematical yeah i agree so he said that if no one else could have them or if he could not have them no one else would he said he was going to kill them all three of them another inmate who was incarcerated with daniel after the murders testified saying quote an officer came in when mr zirkel first entered the pod maybe a week or two after he entered an officer came in to let zirkel know that he was going to contribute to the car wash that was being given for his daughter's gravesite and the stones. As the officer came over and explained what he was going to do, Mr. Zirkel said, well, tell that bitch I said checkmate. And he ran his thumb across his neck and looked dead at the officer. Wow. So Daniel pled guilty. He, Thank God. I mean, honestly, that that's actually kind of surprising to me, given what we just heard and the level of his narcissism and everything that he would do that. But just thank God that at least 
At least this poor woman was spared that. It is crazy to me to look at the crime and then see the way that he dealt with his trial. Mm -hmm. Because he did plead guilty. In most cases, when they plead guilty, it's for a plea deal. Right. There was no plea deal on the table. I can't imagine, yeah. He, He directed his counsel to not present any evidence that would reduce his punishment at all. He wanted the death penalty. He all but asked for the death penalty. Give it to him. So that's what he got. He was sentenced in September of 2000. He waived all of his appeals. And on April 2nd of 2002, he was executed by lethal injection. Which, given... That was fast. Very fast. Because he was first arrested in 99. He then got out later that year. He killed both of his his daughter and his stepdaughter in 99. And by April 2nd, he was killed. Wow. Which, given our legal process, that is very fast. Mm -hmm. And I guess the waiving of all of the... The appeals and stuff. The appeals. But even so, I mean, you hear about those things, you know, sometimes where, where people will do that. But this still seems like they really were just like, nope, you don't need to be on the planet anymore. Bye bye. Yes. He did not have a final meal, but he did have some final words. Oh, and I'm sure they're horrible. He said, I would just like to say that I'm sorry to everyone who's been hurt in this tragedy that I've had. I also want to thank my family for their love and support, my lawyers, my preacher for their help in getting me through this. I want my soulmate Gracie to know that I love her with all of my heart and soul and I will always be there with her. Who's Gracie? Not a clue. I could not find a single thing about her. All right. Which is very strange. Mm -hmm. No idea who she is. None. So, good. Right. (laughs) Good riddance. Yes. Now, his death... His execution was not the end of the drama around this case. Okay. So he was executed in April of 2002. In August of 2002, so a few months later, around the anniversary of the girl's death, Daniel's brother, Gregory, was arrested and charged with trespassing and violating a court order for visiting the girl's grave sites. There, a court order had been issued to keep all of Daniel's family away from the grave sites. Now, I have mixed feelings about that. I also have mixed feelings about this. And I talked to my mom last night when we were talking about this case. And she also had mixed feelings Mm -hmm. about it. Now, in his final words, he did say, I want to thank my family for their love and support. I don't care how you're related to me. If you hurt you if you have the anger and the evilness inside of you that you can hurt and kill your own children i give you no love and no support for me it's any child yeah do you know what i'm saying well, yeah. i mean honestly it doesn't even have to be his own child it's yeah. any child but yes these people have this personal deep connection with his victims not yes. just with him that yeah so that's okay. my thing is i 
could not stand by this person under any circumstances. I no. could not do it. So I kind of understand that if this, if his family really is standing by and loving and supporting him through all of his, through his trials and all of this, I wouldn't want them visiting their gravesite either because clearly they've made a decision on who's more important to them. True. So I get it. Yeah. I wonder if that's, but that is fascinating to me that that, even existed yeah you know and I, I I'm very curious to know some of the circumstances as to how exactly that they came went about to be. it because yeah. honestly I've never heard of this before I've, neither have I now he Daniel's brother Gregory his wife and his kids issued an apology to the girls and her family that he said that they never intended to hurt them he said that he has been estranged from the rest of his family and he did not know about this protective order. Oh, that's even more heartbreaking. Yeah, so I I honestly think that he, especially with it being around the anniversary of their death, right. he was really just trying to be respectful and visiting and loving these girls. Yes. Now, he also said that had he known of the court order, he 100% would have followed it. And then apologize to Barbara directly for if he hurt her in any way or anything with the family if he hurt them. So he sounds like a very decent, like he got all the decent genes obviously in this family. So so. I think that that it's sad because I really do think that his brother was just trying to pay his respects and visit his nieces who had their lives had been taken way too early and he ended up getting arrested for trespassing because of it that it's sad now also i showed you a picture of this guy earlier before we even started oh my god he is one creepy creepy you dude you need to link that to the facebook oh i will everything so yeah our, our listeners can see because if you were casting this part this is the person you would choose, His I think. eyes. He has cr- the crazy eyes. The crazy eyes. They are sure. bug-eyed and bloodshot, and he he looks like he... Because not all serial killers, you wouldn't like look at them and be like, oh, because right. there's a lot of people who have said, like, I never would have imagined that they could have heard a fly. You look at this man, and you know he's about to kill somebody. Definitely. He's <laughs> got the look. Yes, yes. And it's funny how we do that. And I... Again, I think that's part of human nature, but you know, we, we exactly there's there's two kinds of people: the people you look at and you can believe they're serial killers, and the people you look at and you can't. Yeah. So, but uh, that's it, this is just I'm sick to my stomach thinking. I knew about you this. wouldn't like it, Mm-mm. but it's. I mean, it it was hard for me to get through when I researched mm-hmm. it, but but that's the thing. So I sit here and I think, all right, so what? what is the solution to some of this so you know people will immediately like i said you know in idaho here we had the thing with the gu- that wouldn't have helped here you know not mm-hmm. allowing him to own a gun because he didn't use a gun he used yeah. a knife so that he stole from his mother's kitchen what can you do to protect people from perpetrators like this i mean is the answer an ankle bracelet where you track every move they make um you know, I think that's something that we have to do a better job 
dealing with in this country. Yeah. Now, there was Because also... everyone did everything right here. Like I said, that's what's making me just absolutely insane as I sit here. Now, not everyone did everything right. I will say this. Granted, I get the whole narc thing. The man who was incarcerated with him, that he told him, I'm going to kill them, mm-hmm. should have spoken up. It should okay. not have waited until he already killed the girls for him to testify. Okay, I'll give you that. But he'd already told his his girlfriend. I'm, You know what I mean? Like, it's not like that's the only person yeah. that he said the threat to. He'd said this, it seems like he was pretty open yeah. with his plans. That's true. It's just... Now, there's also this. This was an article that was released in 2005, and I didn't have a chance to look more into it to see if this actually happened. One of the candidates that was running for governor around this time, his name was Jerry Kilgore, unveiled his, quote, safe from harm plan against domestic violence. He Part of his plan was that he had this law called Christina and Jesse's Law which meant that it would be mandatory jail time for abusers who violate their protective orders. And it comes from the murders. But again, that all happened in this case. He, you know, it was reported. It sounds like the police took everything very seriously. They did everything they could. He went to jail for this. But I don't think that he would have gone to jail had he not attacked Barbara. Right. Because she press charges for assault, battery, and violation. Had it just been violation, he probably wouldn't have gone to jail. True, true. But again, still, you go to jail, you're getting out, you're madder than ever. I I mean, like I said, this just seems like a cycle that I don't know what we can do to stop this. Yeah. So you had also asked earlier if he had had any prior... Domestic violence. Domestic. Now, I know that... It was said that he had some, I believe it was an armed robbery issue that I'm not going to be able to find now that I want to find it. Well, and in any case, he very likely did, whether it was reported or not there. I mean, you know, that's the other thing. It's not like you just have these nice people. And again, women do this too. I don't want to act like, I mean, I, I have known women who were, pretty horrific abusers as well and you know and and just this idea that you I don't know like somehow this gets so closely intermingled with our concepts of romantic love and I see posts on Facebook all the time and in other places that just make me want to shake people you know this idea that somehow making each other miserable and wanting revenge for bad things that you did to me that that is somehow a part of romantic love and that we have somehow enmeshed those in our society is I think we're getting a little bit better maybe you know what I mean at addressing some of it but on the other hand when I hear a case like this it just sends me into a spin of insane rage yeah and I mean like my son he's four and I I could not imagine. I think that's probably why it was so hard for me to get through the first time. Is because when I read cases like this, where it's such a young child that's very close to the age of my son, it's it. That's all I can think about mm-hmm. is him being in this situation, and right. I could not imagine. No. Yeah. 
So in 1988, he was convicted of armed robbery. Nancy Berry, who was the victim of the robbery, testified that Zirkle entered a store where she was employed as a cashier. He displayed a butcher knife. So knives have always been his mm-hmm. weapon of choice and demanded that she give him money. He she got he got the money. He left the store. He pled guilty. And then in 1999, he had a marijuana charge, Whatever. which we've talked about before. Don't really care. So he it was also presented as evidence that he had threatened and abused members of Barbara's family before. Okay. So, so this was not something new. It it didn't say that he had ever been convicted of anything, but it was brought as evidence during his trial at this that point. These things had happened. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and that's the other thing like and when back to the marijuana law, you know, we already discussed how I think it's usefulness for law enforcement is it's an easy way to bust people for breaking parole and doing some of these things. And that's why I'm very excited about this new law that's been proposed to make animal cruelty a felony. Yes, I read about that. And, you know, and I've discussed it with a couple of different people. And again, I was talking to a friend of mine today about it. And I just, I I like the idea. I'm, I want them to be careful about... I guess defining animal cruelty if that makes sense because my point was a lot of the times for instance animal hoarders end up being accused of this and it is horrific don't get me wrong you know often there's a level of neglect and things like this that that are awful but these are those people usually I see them as you know people who they think they're doing a good thing but then it gets out of hand they can't keep up I don't want to see those people yeah. in prison. I want to see those people getting the psychological and emotional help that they need. Yeah, and get I'm those t- animals to a place that's safe. Exactly. Yeah. All of that, 100%. I, but the people that have this malicious, sadistic intent in harming an animal, those are the people that I'm very, I feel like, get that charge on there and then track them for the rest of their lives because we already know of the high correlation between people who are sadistic to animals that that is almost invariably tied to the way they treat people and that there's an escalation process here and so on that so i'm i'm excited to see where that goes i think that could be a far more useful tool than the marijuana charges than the marijuana charges but um We'll Speaking of, did you, we're going to go on a little marijuana okay. rant real quick. <laughs> did you see the news article about the man who got arrested between here and Boise with the almost 7,000 pounds of quote unquote marijuana, which was actually about 7,000 pounds of hemp? Oh, and no, I did not. It was industrial hemp. And he got arrested and charged with a felony because of it. Oh my gosh. Which again, it just became legal to grow hemp in the state of Idaho this year. So it, well, and so. I did not. See, I heard about, because at first they reported it as a marijuana bus. I had not heard it. Yeah, they they reported it as over 6,700 pounds (laughs) of marijuana, when in reality it was about 7,000 pounds of industrial hemp that was being moved from Portland to Colorado and now that everything's being said and done and they realized it was hemp and hemp and marijuana are different they're about they're basically cousins right 
My, my understanding is hemp doesn't have the THC. It has about 0.03% of THC, so it's almost right. untraceable. And now the company is suing the Idaho State Police because of it. Well, maybe we'll have something to say about that down the I road know, as I'm well. Excited. So, yes. Well, thank you for listening next week. So we'll be going to the lovely state of Indiana. Yep. Home of two of my favorite authors, John and Hank Green. So this could be fun. Thanks for listening. <laughs>